0: Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farrakh.
1: I know that without faith, it's impossible to please you. And sometimes my faith is just the size of that little microscopic, almost invisible mustard seed. But yet, even when my faith is like that, you say that I can, with that small faith, move big mountains. Not because of the small faith, but because of my big God. And God wants me to trust Him. God wants me to trust Him to do the impossible.
0: You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Ezra. How exciting that God wants to do great things in our lives. He wants more for us than we can even imagine. In his message, Pastor J.D. encourages us to trust God and put our faith in Him. For even with a tiny amount of faith, our big God can do a mighty work in our lives. We just need to surrender to His will and follow where He leads. Now be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Ezra, chapter 6, with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth.
1: They basically tell the king, hey, if David's fighting with us, we're not going to fight. So tells David, go back home to Ziklag. I mean, they're, they're just refusing. He said, if, if David fights with us against the Jews, fights with the Philistines, we're not fighting. I mean, this is the same David that, you know, that song that was the number one downloaded song on iTunes? You know the one. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. You know who the tens of thousands that David killed were? They were the Philistines. And so he goes back to Ziklag, and what happens? He finds that, in fact, it's really an interesting. Remember this in our study in in 1 Samuel. He goes back, and even before they got to the city, they see the smoke. Everything had been burned to the ground. And their wives, their children, all of their livestock, all of their possessions had been taken by the Amalekites. And they are so distraught. And these are men of war. And they just break down, we're told, in the account, and cry until they cannot even cry anymore. Have you ever cried that hard? where your tear ducts literally dry out. That's what it happened. And they were so distraught in their grief and their sorrow, they, they turned on David. They wanted to kill David. And David strengthened himself in the Lord. And talk about orchestrating the circumstances. There's this Egyptian. They just so happened. What a coincidence. They just so happened to come upon this Egyptian. And the Egyptian says, I know what happened. They They took everything. They took your wives, your children, your and I know where they took them. <laughs> oh, what a coincidence. You do? So why don't you tell us where that is? And the Egyptian, very smart, says, I will if you don't kill me. <laughs> and he says, okay, well, we won't kill you, so tell us. And they go, and they find the Amalekites, and they find everything, the wives, the children, all of the possessions, and they recovered everything. God recovers stolen property. Here's this. This belongs to the temple of God. This belongs to God. Now, how many years later, 70 plus years later, God restores it, and it's restored. God is a restoring God. Can I say that? I just did. God can restore. It doesn't matter. He restores the years the locusts have eaten, And so the enemy tries to steal it, but God will restore it. So we're told that it's to be restored and taken back to the temple where it belongs, which is in Jerusalem, each to its place, and deposit them in the house of God. Now therefore, verse 6, this is interesting, to Tenai, governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethar, Bosnai, and your companions, the Persians, who are beyond the river, This is the decree. Keep yourselves far from there. Don't even go near this work to rebuild the temple. He says, verse 7, Let the work of this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build this house of God on its site. Moreover, I issue a decree, verse 8, as to what you shall do for the elders of these Jews, for the building of this house of God. Let the cost be paid at the king's expense from taxes on the region beyond the river. You don't see that every day. This is to be given immediately to these men so that they are not hindered. And, verse 9, whatever they need, Young bulls, rams, and lambs for the burnt offerings of the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, and oil, according to the request of the priests who are in Jerusalem, let it be given them day by day without fail. If they ask for it, you give it to them. Whatever they need, you give it to them. Every day, whatever their needs are, whatever they ask for, you give it to them. That they may offer sacrifices, verse 10, of sweet aroma to the God of heaven, and watch this, and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Wow. Really? This is a smart guy. You know, I had a, many years ago, I had a co-worker, not a Christian, and when something happened in his life, who's the one he comes and asks for prayer for, from? right? You've had that happen. This is what he's doing here. He's saying, oh, by the way, have him pray for me and my sons while you're at it. So, verse 11, also I issue a decree, (laughs) now this is where it gets a little bit gnarly, that whoever alters this edict, let a timber be pulled from his house and erected, And let him be hanged on it. Sounds like Haman's gallows a little bit there, doesn't it? And let his house be made a refuse heap because of this. In other words, you're going to mow his house down, make it a pile of rubble. And, if that weren't bad enough... May the God who causes his name to dwell there destroy any king or people who put their hand to alter it or to destroy this house of God, which is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, issue a decree. Let it be done diligently. Okay, (laughs) okay. Whatever you say, king, is this not an example of how it is That God, as only God can, will do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond anything we could ever ask, think, or even imagine. Now think about this. Don't you think that Zerubbabel and the Jews would have been just grateful if they could just be left alone and finish the building of the temple? But they were praying too low. I've heard it said this way. Sometimes God won't answer our prayers because we're we're praying too low. In other words, we're, we're in our prayers, we're, we're praying and we're asking God for something so little, and God wants us to pray for more. Lord, just please m- let them stop opposing us. That's all you want to pray for? You just want them to stop opposing us? You just want the opposition to stop? That's all, you, that's all you want. Here I am, willing to not only have them stop opposing you, I'm actually going to start having them help you, and I'm going to make the king issue a decree that if anybody even thinks about messing with you guys, I'm going to impale them on a timber from their own house. How's that one? How do you like that? Oh, oh, and oh, by the way, uh, you know what else I'm prepared to do? I'm also prepared to have them fund it. You're, you're going to need money to do this. Oh, and guess what else I'm going to do? I'm going to have Cyrus issue a decree to have all of the gold. You remember the gold that was taken and to Babylon? All that gold. Remember how much gold there was? In Solomon's temple, we had somebody do the math. It was in modern, the modern-day equivalent of trillions with a T dollars of gold. Trillions of dollars of gold. And all these years later, I'm going to even return that. Because I can. Because I'm God. And there's nothing too hard for me. Now think about this. If God can do that, what is it that God can't do? Nothing. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. If God can orchestrate circumstances this way to serve His end for His glory, think about what it is that He can do in your life, in my life. One of the things the Lord has been really ministering to me, in fact, just today, I found myself asking God, to forgive me for not trusting Him to do exceedingly abundantly above, I asked Him to forgive me for my little faith. I asked Him to forgive me for my oh, pastor. What are you talking about? Well, listen, you know when we were building this building, I I'm not proud of this, but there were times where I just faltered in my faith. I'm like God, what are we gonna do? It's like you know God's up there going, "What are you talking about? Do you forget?" who the God is that you serve, who is like unto me? Do you know what I'm capable of doing? I can do anything. Oh, but God, this this opposition, that opposition, have you seen those payables come in? And there, here's our bank account, and there's the payables, and what are we going to do? I was just like a little crybaby. And I just, it's almost like I could... Picture the Lord, not with disdain in his voice, but just almost with pity in his voice. Why why did you doubt? Oh, ye of little faith. And now I look back in retrospect, I'm like, (laughs) have you ever apologized to God for not thinking he could do something after he just did it exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything you could have ever thought or imagined? I just say, Lord, you know, I I wish I had more faith. I wish I had more faith because I know that without faith, it's impossible to please you. And sometimes my faith is just the size of that little microscopic, almost invisible mustard seed. But yet, even when my faith is like that, you say that I can, with that small faith, move big mountains. Not because of the small faith, but because of my big God. And God wants me to trust Him. God wants me to trust Him to do the impossible. I mean, think about this. We're reading the account, and we're reading the narrative, but really think about what God did here. I mean, this, by any stretch of the imagination, was absolutely impossible. I mean, not only is this decree found and reinstated, Darius takes it to a whole new level. I mean, he issues his own decree with horrific consequences for anyone who would dare try to stop it. You have to in that day, if you went against the decree of the king, it's over. It's over. You're done. It's over. There's no, <laughs> there's no court case. There's no hearing. There's no appeal. No, you're done. You're done. And talk about it's pretty graphic. But take a. I want you to when you mow the house down to a pile of rubble. I want you to take one of those big cross beams. I want you to take one of those and I want you to, I want you to impale them and hang them up. That's a deterrent. Look at that. Oh. He, he went against the king's decree. He, you're gonna, you're gonna impale him on his own timber from his own house and you're gonna hang him up there for all the people to see. You know, I think I'm gonna obey the decree, right? I mean, call me silly, but, uh, that's kind of a no-brainer. And only God can do that. Now, You'll forgive me for raining on the parade here, but there's something I I think I need to point out. You know what never had to get to this point? This really never had to get to this point. Had they not acquiesced to the opposition and ceased the work of rebuilding, none of this would have had to happen. 15 years wouldn't have been lost. The temple would have been rebuilt. But God. This is a Romans 8.28 thing. God takes the bad and makes it good. I don't know how he does it. I just know that he does it. That's just who God is and that's how good God is. No matter how bad it is, it cannot change how good God is. He works all things together for the good. He worked this thing together for the good. Even though they had faltered and failed and let that temple lay in ruin for 15 years, God worked it out for the good and exceedingly so. Verse 13. Then Tetanai, governor of the region beyond the river, Shathar, Bosnai, and their companions (laughs) diligently did according to what King Darius had sent. They didn't want to be hanging and impaled on a timber. So the elders, verse 14, of the Jews built, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Ido. And they built and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel, and according to the command of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Now, Verse 15, the temple was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Then the children of Israel, the priests and the Levites, and the rest of the descendants of the captivity, celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. And they offered sacrifices at the dedication of the house of God, 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and a sin offering for all Israel, twelve male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. All compliments of King Darius, by the way. Right? All of those sacrifices? Question, why do we need to know the numbers of the sacrifices that they offered? I mean, isn't this one of those nebulous places in God's word that doesn't really seem to have any personal application to us. I think you know better than that. (laughs) This detail is here for a reason. And I would suggest that this detail is here because the sacrifices that they offered paled in comparison to the massive numbers of sacrifices given in the first temple. I mean by a lot, not even on the same scale, not even a a comparison. This is minuscule compared to the massive amount of offerings and sacrifices that were given in the first temple. So what's the point? Well, here's the point. It's not how much we give. It's how our heart is when we give. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. I think of that day when Jesus was in the temple and they're watching everybody give and they they had these brass type things where they would throw the coins in the, and the more you gave the bigger sound it made. So here's all these guys coming in throwing in lots of money and you know all the glory that comes with it all. Look how much I gave and the sound it would make. Then up walks this little widow with her two Worthless mites, some suggest worth less than a penny. Two mites. And she puts it in, barely makes even a ring of a sound. You, you have to. And then Jesus says, hey, you guys, come here. Did you see that? Yeah. You know what just happened here? What? That widow gave more than everybody else. You want to know why? Why? Because she gave all she had. That was everything. She gave from her whole heart all that she had. Those other guys, they gave out of their abundance. It's not how much you give. It's not the size or the amount of the offerings and the sacrifice. It's the heart. It's the heart of the giver. God loves a giver who gives with a cheerful heart, a joyful heart, where the giving is a get-to and not a got-to. It's not the quantity, it's the quality. And by the way, that applies across the board, not just in our giving to the Lord, but our service to the Lord. It's not the quantity, it's the quality. It's the quality of our service. Verse 18, we're almost done. They assigned the priests to their divisions and the Levites to their divisions over the service of God in Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. And the descendants of the captivity kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month, for the priests and the Levites had purified themselves. By the way, it's been 70 plus years since they've celebrated the feast of Passover. The Levites had purified themselves, all of them were ritually clean, and they slaughtered the Passover lambs for all the descendants of the captivity, for their brethren the priests, and for themselves. Then, verse 21, the children of Israel who had returned from the captivity ate together with all who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek the Lord God of Israel. That's interesting. And verse 22, they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy for the Lord. Here's why they, they celebrated it with joy. For the Lord made them joyful. And that's not all. He turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. So it's believed that it took about Four years from the resumption of the construction to the completion of the rebuilding. So now it's been about 19 years since they came there and started the work, then stopped in the face of the opposition 19 years later. Now, why do I mention that? Because, think about this. Had they not heeded the prophets at the time they did, this wouldn't have happened. God would have raised up another, Deliverance would have come from another, but they wouldn't be celebrating with such joy had they not heeded the prophet's warning concerning the time to rebuild the temple. And this turning of the king's heart toward them to strengthen them, we're told, that's huge. I think about it in the context of Modern day, whether it's a president or a king, doesn't matter. Proverbs 21, 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. God directs. God directs the affairs of man. Kings, princes, presidents, it doesn't matter. God orchestrates it. God directs it. God choreographs all of the steps and all of the stops as well as only he can.
0: We love the insight Pastor J.D. brings to this series as he digs into the book of Ezra. We hope you've learned a lot, but more than that, we hope that this radio program helps to draw you closer to Jesus. Prayer is very important to us here at In Spirit and Truth. We want you to know that we continually pray for our listeners. We'd like to invite you to be praying with us as this powerful ministry goes out over the air. Pray for this spirit to work in the hearts and minds of the people who will hear Pastor J.D.'s message and pray that we will always seek the Father's will for this program. If you enjoyed today's message and want to hear more from Pastor J.D. Farag, find us online at inspiritandtruthradio.com and click listen at the top of the page. We have so many ways for you to connect with us, including our Facebook and YouTube pages, where we'd love to have you join the conversation. Pastor J.D. also has a convenient way for you to stay connected.
1: Yes, I do, Josh. You can download the In Spirit and Truth mobile app on any device and listen anywhere anytime our app includes our studies through the bible book by book chapter by chapter and verse by verse as well as our bible prophecy updates many are finding the mobile app to be very helpful in this fast-paced world in which we live to find the link to our app you can go to inspiritandtruthradio.com
0: thanks pastor jd that's all the time we have for today but be sure to join us again May your day and week be blessed as you continue to grow in spirit and truth. Right with you.